There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the New Year's edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. Want to wish all the listeners a happy new year. Hope you had a great holiday season. We've been on vacation for a while. Starting out this segment, I uh, was talking to the wrong end of the microphone, but I think we're getting things together. As always, I'm here with my co-host, Spencer the Wizard, and we're here breaking down Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. It's some great games. The, the NFC really led off with some uh, some wonderful contests, and both games actually finished rather identically. We also had some AFC contests, and we're going to kick it off with the game we covered. We were there just two nights ago. Lincoln Financial Field for the playoff game between the Chip Kelly Eagles and the Sean Payton Saints. Spencer, break it down. Well, yeah, I just want to relay everybody the message uh, of a happy 2014. I hope that everyone enjoyed uh, New Year's and the Christmas vacation. Uh, the kids were off of school, and it's it's a fantastic 14-day break for the youngsters, and most adults also are able to get some days off. Um, I know that when you come back from New Year's, especially where it was located, the first couple of days coming back to work are always tough. But uh, hopefully the show can get you through your Tuesday afternoon. And uh, luckily sports, they never um, seem to fail us, especially in the first week of January. We have quite a buffet of sports to talk about, but particularly football. College and NFL football right now are in full swing. We have playoff and we have bowl season. It's really great um, when you're thinking about late December at night and you're just able to watch bowl game after bowl game. Just terrific college football. But as Bruce noted right now, it's appropriate to uh, kick off the show talking about the NFC wild card weekend. And uh, we had two doozies of football games, and each game. Actually, um, the winners of both games won by a combined score of five, meaning that the the winner of the first game won by two points and the winner of the second game won by three. So three out of the four games are really competitive. And let's um, start off with the Saturday night primetime game on NBC, the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the visiting New Orleans Saints. And the, the whole franchise of New Orleans has never won a playoff game on the road. So it was uncharted territory for them if they wanted to get the job accomplished. It's first season defensive coordinator for the New Orleans Saints, Rob Ryan, um, coming in here after his stint in Dallas last year. And... My analysis on the game are this. I thought that New Orleans' game plan in the first half was was somewhat surprising, uh, considering that the Saints are usually a team that loves to air it out with Drew Brees. They decided to really pound the rock with Pierre Thomas and Mark Ingram, their running backs. They decided to play smash-mouth football with their offensive line and just try to overpower the Eagles' defensive line in the trenches instead of going after a vulnerable secondary. But the 
reason why they did this is not that they didn't have confidence in Drew Brees throwing the football. It's that they wanted to shorten the game. And when you run the ball and keep the ball in bounds, the time is guaranteed to move down. So basically when the clock is running, that was better for the Saints. When your clock runs, you have less possessions in the football game. You're going to give the Eagles less cracks at the apple. And also, it's so demoralizing as an athlete and as an offense sitting there in 15-degree weather and not seeing the field for 40 minutes. Not 40 minutes of game time, but 40 minutes of, of, just, of just regular time. And that's what New Orleans did on each drive. You know, in the first half, they were picking up at least three first downs. And that really kept the Eagles off of the field. And Drew Brees gave the Eagles gifts in the first half. He threw a horrible ball to Kenny Stills down the sideline, really forcing it. And then he made an errant throw where he completely ignored a linebacker and didn't go through his progression. So Brees had a really poor first half in terms of taking care of the ball, which is uncharacteristic for a guy that is headed to the Hall of Fame. But the Saints basically decided to pound the football and wear down the D. It was a brilliant strategy because this Eagles offense is hot. The crowd is into the game. They weathered the storm in the first half, and they only and the Eagles only scored seven points. But that's why the Saints were really running it, because they wanted to continue to get first downs and not set up Drew Brees in long for down situations. And when you run the football, you're not going to lose many yards as opposed to passing plays, which could be sacks, interceptions, also could be bigger splash plays and positive yards. But running the football for the Saints was definitely a little bit off kilter um, for, for what they do. But in these playoffs, they're definitely um, instituting toughness throughout the group. And I thought it was a really great strategy for Chip Kelly and the Eagles in their first game to get them antsy and to keep them off the field, limit the first half. And the Eagles only had four possessions, which... um, which really worked out well for New Orleans running the ball. Um, Bruce, I want to ask you a couple questions about the game. It looked like Nick Foles, even though he's thrown two interceptions, it was his first playoff game, but it looked like in the first half that there were times when Nick Foles had all day to throw the football. Talk about Nick Foles um, not taking chances down the field and how that and, and how you, you assessed his play. Um because, yeah, talk about how he maybe didn't take a he didn't take a lot of shots on the field. Talk about if he was maybe being over conservative, or if he or if you liked how he's not forcing the ball. Well, I think the first half was a combination of the uh, the play calling by Chip Kelly and the play the quarterback play by Nick Foles, and clearly they didn't take shots down the field. They didn't throw one pass to Deshaun Jackson. And I think that was a mistake. There was um, there were two noteworthy bad plays by Foles. One where he uh, took an intentional grounding and another one where he, he had about 10 seconds and, and took a sack. And two of those bad plays were responsible for moving the ball back to the point where this guy, uh, Alex Henry... That's his first name, right? Yes. Alex Hedry uh, hooked a 48-yard uh, field goal badly and missed it. That was one of the keys to the game for me. Second half, Foles was down by 13 points. It, we were we were 
getting close to the fourth quarter, and many of us Eagles fans were not very optimistic. But Foles really kicked in the gear. He he had a sense of urgency. He threw some great balls. One noteworthy pass on the right sideline to Deshaun Jackson, and another one was to Riley Cooper. Riley Cooper made some great catches. Uh, that leads us to one of the plays of the game, a great misdirection play. Everybody was stacked to the left, and Riley Cooper had about 40 yards in front of him. It, it was only his second drop of the year, which is really noteworthy, but it came at a crucial time. And that drop, coupled with special teams errors, uh, really was a death knell for the Eagles. Right. Um, we're definitely going to get to the special teams play later. I thought Nick Foles in the first half was tentative and definitely nervous, and and he didn't look as loose as he usually did. And he wasn't throwing the ball down the field, but also give credit to the Saints' defense. They kind of played more of a zone. I could tell they were never blitzing Nick Foles, really, and that gave him a lot of time to really throw the ball. But when you have time, that doesn't always mean that, you, that you're going to find open receivers. When you have time that you usually means that the defense is doing that for a reason, and that's to cover Deshaun Jackson going deep. Um, I still would have preferred seeing them throw the ball a lot because this officiating crew that was at the game was known to call the second most pass interferences in the league. And throwing the ball down the field, not only does it scare the defense, it gets the crowd involved, it gets your offense going, and it might open up stuff underneath. I thought they might have overran the ball with Shady McCoy at times. And I thought the Eagles' offense just didn't push the ball down the field like they needed to. I also thought New Orleans... Um, in in the first half, really, it's it, you know really ingratiated the running game, and then in the third quarter, in the, in the third quarter they they were able to uh, to really get pressure on Nick Foles, and when they get pressure on Nick Foles, that's the one way to stop him because he's not a mobile quarterback. Caliver panic and throw it out of bounds he's not going to create many plays with his legs so that's the real way to get after Nick Foles but it's difficult because the Eagles have a good offensive line and then the Eagles defense I just thought the Saints came out of halftime and they just had played a brilliant third quarter and the Eagles defense was nowhere to be found as New Orleans just pretty much waltzed down the field in the third quarter. And that's just a lack of focus. Their defense wasn't poor. It was a horrific defensive performance by the Eagles. There were guys that were 40 yards open. Mark Ingram, you know, even three guys couldn't tackle him. So the third quarter defense, the wheels really came off, and they showed glimpses of why they're so young. It, it You know, the teams that win the game, it's always about how bad are your bad moments and for the Eagles in the third quarter it was disastrous catastrophic mistakes and then there are really two plays where New Orleans got burnt in the second half and both times were to Deshaun Jackson when their star defensive player that was covering him got injured so then the Eagles threw it down the field got a pass interference and 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 basically both froze down the field 50 yard bombs were pass interference plays so if the Eagles would have done that earlier in the game, it just would have been a lot more intelligent for them. There's no, I, I don't think the ball would have got intercepted when 
it's one-on-one and it's Deshaun, I really err on the side of, of letting Nick Foles throw the ball and at least scaring or putting a fret into the New Orleans defense. And in the second half, they finally did that. And New Orleans deep played very well, had a great game plan. The two plays to Deshaun Jackson really got the Eagles back in the game. Um, so... Bruce, for for the la- for your listeners, I, w- I want to talk about the last series of New Orleans, um, uh, starting with the with the special teams. Do you think that who would you put the bl- the blame on? W- would you blame it on how strong the New Orleans is at handling clock management, how experienced they might be, or would you blame it kind of on an inexperienced defense and and poor special teams play? What what are your the last series of the game? I'll, uh, what what are your thoughts? Well, I would actually lay it at the feet of the special teams coach and the kicker for the Philadelphia Eagles, Alex Henry. When they kicked it off to Darren Sproles, they came down, and the key to special teams is just staying in your lane. We, we were in the end zone, so we had a good view of this. Everybody was stacked on the right side. There was virtually no Eagles on the left side. Sproles got the ball, and, and he went from the left and just hooked around and went down the sidelines. Number one, you have to kick it in the end zone in the NFL. The, the rules are made to to minimize concussions in returns, and and this guy uh, just just couldn't get into the end end zone, and that coupled with a uh, horse collar by Kerry Williams really allowed the Saints to begin their last series of downs in the Eagles territory, and it was really a slow death from that point. They just bled the clock, went down. And had an easy field goal, and uh, it was party over. So I blame the special teams. I blame the coaching. They should have had people on both sides of the field, obviously. And you need to have a kicker who could reach into the end zone. I certainly, I certainly agree with that. The comeback was great. Uh, I think that the wind conditions definitely um, did not help Alex Henry. And I noticed the New Orleans kicker, I don't think there were any touchbacks in that game. I think Brad Smith could return all the kicks. I think it was more about the scheme coming down the field all of them on the on the right side, as you mentioned. And for New Orleans, they're at the 50-yard line. Their morale changed once they knew that they were getting it at midfield. Instead of having to possibly go what seems like a long 40 yards from your own 20 with the fans hollering in the end zone, it then became a midfield game, and Drew Brees is like, okay, guys, we can get four first downs here and win this football game. And that's, and that's exactly what they did. I also blame the Eagles' defense um, for not being able to stop the run and not having any splash plays on the last defensive series. The Saints were always ahead of the chains and on schedule. It's a combination of showing poise combined with not being able to make a big play when you need it. Um, so I think we we talked a lot about the, about this football game in which New Orleans came out in the first half trying to milk the clock and then had an aggressive third quarter. The Eagles stormed back into this football game. Uh, really no team dominated. Um, if Drew Brees would have not thrown those interceptions and the Saints player wouldn't have gotten hurt, you can make a, a sincere argument that New Orleans would have been in firm control headed into the final quarter of the game. Um, but 
The Eagles showed a lot of poison coming back and targeting an injured player with Deshaun Jackson, and get and he is one of the most special weapons that this league has had all year. One of the best deep threats in the league, and he came up large to even give the Eagles a chance. So we're running out of time. We got so many more things to talk about corresponding to the NFL playoffs. You're listening to Bruce the Sports Doc on Voice America. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. This Is It Sports is an engaging talk program that includes you, the experts, and sports, all moderated by Coach Carl Hargrave. We'll talk about what's going on in the general sports world, collegiate and professional, take a look at youth-oriented sports, athletic development and sportsmanship, faith, and where it has its place in sports, along with a lively discussion with Coach Carl every week. Tune in to This Is It Sports with Coach Carl Hargrave every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm a sports medicine doctor and neurologist practicing in the Pennsylvania and Delaware areas. If you're within driving distance of our office, we'd be happy to help you with any pain management problem. Again, we specialize in sports, occupational injuries, and trauma from motor vehicle accidents. If you want to reach us, give us a call, Pennsylvania, 610-521-6063, and Wilmington, Delaware, 302-636-0920. We really appreciate your listening to this New Year's version of Bruce the Sports Doc, heavily emphasizing the NFL wildcard weekend. We just saw the fourth game of the wildcard weekend, and it was a classic matchup of Green Bay Packers, San Francisco 49ers. Frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. At the, on the field, it was 5 degrees, chill factor below zero. And a very exciting game. It did disappoint. And let's get right down to the breakdown. Again, the co-host, Spencer the Wizard. 
Well, thanks for that introduction. It feels great to be back. That game, uh, I mean, I can't say enough about how entertaining the NFL playoffs has been. I mean, I look forward every every week to, to Saturday and Sunday football, and uh, it's such a blessing to have these games on the, those six hours, uh, actually 12 hours in total of watching NFL. Um, just tremendous franchises, you know, franchises full of history. You had the, you know, the original teams of the NFL, the San Francisco 49ers, I think they have about six championships, and then you have the team from Green Bay, Wisconsin, a team that is owned by the city of Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers. And in this game, San Francisco dominated the first half. Their defense was absolutely tremendous on Aaron Rodgers, a ferocious group led by a ferocious head coach, and they really take on the mindset and personality of Jim Harbaugh. I love Jim Harbaugh. I mean, even though he could be a a guy who's really fired up, can let his emotions get the best of him at times too, Jim Schwartz and officials, um, you know, Jim Harbaugh, you could just tell how competitive the guy is, and he hates losing more than he likes winning. And that defense just, there was no way that they were going to get go out of Green Bay without winning the football game. And the first half, they completely bottled up A-Rod. And the Packers' D did a nice job of bending but not breaking as the Niners drove on them many times. Gore played a very nice first half. They couldn't get it in the end zone. They were 0 for 2 on the 10-yard line. And uh, that's a huge theme. When you have the football on first and goal and you're not scoring, you're usually the team that loses. And that's the most important part of the game, I think, is is your red zone offense and translating those points into touchdowns. Because all teams that are still in the in the tournament can at least move the ball efficiently through the 30s, meaning the 30-yard line on both sides. So Green Bay opened up the second half nicely, rejuvenated. Jordy Nelson, a tremendous wide receiver, had a monster second half with Rodgers and and Randall Cobb. So their passing attack is very prolific. And adding Eddie Lacy to the mix, um, he's just one of the hardest um, rushers we've ever seen, meaning that he'll put his head anywhere and he'll, he'll run the ball down 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 your throat I mean he'll come at you and uh, he's a physical downhill runner and he serves Green Bay very well because their running game with James Starks um, they really just needed a a runner that could really give Aaron Rodgers a more balanced attack this game came down to the last couple of series in the game you had first and goal and this is the play where they really lost it Green Bay took a timeout. They had three timeouts left. It's five minutes to go, and it's a tie ball game. And Green Bay, or or excuse me, actually, it's Green Bay that is down by 320-17. And they take a timeout as the play clock's winding down after Rodgers makes some terrific plays, escaping rushers. He's balling in the fourth quarter. But it's a 20-17 football game, five minutes left, first and goal. The play clock's winding down. Instead of taking a penalty, and instead of it being first and 10 from the 10, they, uh, they, they burn a timeout. And now they only have two timeouts coming down the stretch run. The Niners... Bottle up Rodgers, force an incomplete passion da- uh, pass down the right sideline. They stuff the run, and then Rodgers on third down is then sacked. So basically the Niners D gets shredded up to the 10-yard line, and then they hold strong, 
and force a field goal that only ties the game. Those 10 yards, that first and goal, that burning of the timeout, not going up 24-20 with a touchdown with five minutes to go, that's what cost Green Bay the game, that red zone possession, and give San Francisco tons of credit for just fighting and fighting because Randall Cobb had a 30-yard pass on a ridiculous scramble to even make that play possible by Rodgers. And most teams would have folded up camp. Most teams would have, most defensive lines would have just let Aaron Rodgers get those last 10 yards. And most teams would have been down 24 to 20, needing to score a touchdown. But not this San Francisco defense. They made money plays. Just, they locked down when they needed to. And they defended their end zone. And they rewarded their offense with a chance with a score to take a lead, any score. And that's how they really won that football game. Bruce, how poised is Colin Kaepernick? Talk about this new school of quarterback that Colin Kaepernick brings to the table for the San Francisco 49ers. Well, last year we saw Colin Kaepernick just broke out with a great year. And earlier in the season, the talk was that the NFL figured him out. They had it bottled up. And he had some fairly uh, mediocre games. However, when the bell rings, playoff time is there, he finds an extra gear, and essentially he won the game for them, in my opinion. Uh, in a really, really cold environment, he was, uh, he was throwing ropes, tight spirals, cutting through the wind, and most importantly, on big third and long plays, he was, uh, he was taking off and running. And one of the big factors I noticed last year was that the defense really couldn't gauge his speed. They couldn't really their their angle of attack in the tackling was poor. And today I noticed that he just was so much faster than the defense gave him credit for. And the Packers their secondary was decimated. They had injuries for their cornerbacks and um they they just were not at full strength and they looked they looked slow. And Kaepernick is just a beast and uh he basically carried the team on his shoulders to victory. Yeah, you have five minutes left on the road in Green Bay. If you give the ball back, if you go three and out, you lose the game because Rodgers is going to drive down there. You'd assume and kick a game-winning field goal. So Kaepernick had the ball. It was his turn, and it was an unbelievable drive for the ages. Third and seven, first, first, first series really in the drive, or first set of downs, I should say. He, he scrambles out of the pocket. That's what I love about Colin Kaepernick. He's always pushing up in the pocket. He's so fast. And not only is he fast, but he's also he's wiry. He's six foot six. He's lanky. So each step is so long. That's what makes him fast. You can have Russell Wilson there. People can move their legs faster than Kaepernick, but his stride equals Russell Wilson taking three steps. I mean, the guy is a freak of nature at six foot six. He has a cannon for an arm, and the way he moves elusively through the pocket makes him a really special product, makes him a freak athlete, everything combined. So even though his throwing motion could be more compact, he has such a strong arm that with reps he'll be fine. So basically, he makes an unbelie- he scrambles out of the pocket, makes a wonderful throw to Crabtree, and Michael Crabtree today, eight catches, 160 yards. 
uh, Michael Crabtree adds such a different element to this offense. He has a, he has one of the best pairs of mitts in, in the NFL. And, and really, you had an aging Anquan Bolden as your only receiver for the first eight games this year for San Francisco. And then you had the tight end Vernon Davis. And, and Anquan Bolden could be locked up by most cornerbacks in the NFL, most number one corners. So, you know, <laughs> any quarterback... In this league, even the best ones, they need wide receivers. So you can't really gauge Colin Kaepernick if he doesn't have his full arsenal of weapons. And with Crabtree, he adds a whole different element. The defense has to look after him. And Crabtree's a really fantastic wide receiver. So he gave Colin Kaepernick, um, he really gave him a fair chance to, again, be dangerous. And, uh, and Kaepernick then scrambled on third downs. On that last drive, Colin Kaepernick was dynamite at scrambling out of the pocket, realizing that they had huge holes, They their QB spy was always on the wrong side, and he shredded that Green Bay defense, and Green Bay did not stay disciplined. They had multiple players going across the line to the wrong side, and in a sh- to make a long story short, Phil Dawson kicks a game winner, and Kaepernick drives the Niners down a five-minute drive that was painful for Green Bay fans because they just basically could not get off the field, and Aaron Rodgers was left sitting there. That last first-and-goal series would be his last series that he would play in the 2013-2014 season. We are going to hit a break. We're going to talk next about the second largest comeback in postseason history. I don't think you want to miss this. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's a tough shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. school to the pros we we cover everything everything. let your voice be heard voice america sports dr bruce grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of grossinger neuropain specialist serving the philadelphia and wilmington delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine pain management interventional spinal surgeries and occupational medicine dr bruce is the director of the national sports concussion program and works as a senior medical advisor for the national high school coaches association we're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. We're here on voiceamerica.com. We want to thank our sports director, Ray Ellis. And President of the Network, Jeff Spinard, for this wonderful opportunity to head into a new year. As you know, our show is a mix of sports analysis and sports medicine. When there are particular peaks in the season, such as NFL playoffs, we will front load our show with sports analysis and fill it in with sports medicine as we get to uh, the offseason for sure. But nonetheless... We'll start off by saying there were no major injuries in the Philadelphia Eagles game, so there's nothing to talk about with sports, but it's time to rumble right into the AFC, to the jungle, Cincinnati Bengals, hosting San Diego Chargers with Philip Rivers, new coach Mike McCoy, and the hopes were high. Cincinnati hasn't won a game in the playoffs since 1990. That's a pretty fair drought. And Andy Dalton has had three losses coming in, and they were playing a home game. San Diego's 9-7. and seven. It looked like a perfect setup for the Bengals to finally get off the schneid. But let's see what really happened. What really happened in this football game is that Cincinnati got down to a 7 nothing deficit, and then Andrew Dalton brought them back hitting Jermaine Gresham for his first touchdown pass in the postseason. This is now in the second quarter of the game. He's managing the game well. So far, Dalton is off to a decent start. Before the half, Giovanni Bernard, their stud running back out of um, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, he fumbles the ball inside the red zone, a costly turnover. And the Bengals basically could have a larger lead but they are only up by three at the half, 10-7. to seven. The Chargers come down, and they score a touchdown. Phillip Rivers absolutely balls on this drive, hitting Eddie Roy for a 40-yard pass play on this drive, and then he ends up throwing a touchdown a couple plays later to their tight end, not named Antonio Gates, but their backup tight end, who has a very bright future. The Chargers take a 14-10 lead. They don't look back. Andy Dalton serves up interception on top of interceptions. One ball gets picked off, almost is a pick six, results in a Charger field goal, making the score 20 to 14, or 20 to 10, excuse me. Um, Basically, throughout this football game, Andy Dalton just looked like he didn't have any control of what was going on. He didn't know where his receivers were. He was pressured. The offensive line did him no favors. And that San Diego Superchargers defense just ran with all the momentum that they had coming into the playoffs, winning their last five games. And they and really, 
the boat sunk. His pocket, and Andy Dalton's pocket, was flooded by Chargers defenders. Each time he was throwing, it was off of his back foot. And just when he started to stabilize drives, he would throw costly picks by ignoring linebackers sliding over in coverage. He just was basically missing out on his reads, and he was underestimating the defense and just basically not seeing defenders there. Coupled with the fact that he's an undersized quarterback and his arm strength is shaky to begin with, it just looks like Andy Dalton just isn't going to be the guy to bring Cincinnati their first Super Bowl. And he can't he can't also win a playoff game. Their defense was very solid. I mean, Andy Dalton, when he was throwing interceptions, the Chargers were in the red zone today new, on numerous occasions. And that um, Bengal defense bare down. And the loss could have been a lot worse than 17 points. It was solely on Dalton. But I also saw more things today than just Andrew Dalton. I saw A.J. Green and this receiver core really just kind of give up around Dalton. There were no rallying. There was no pumping up the young quarterback's morale. Basically, Andrew Dalton looked like he was on an island on the Cincinnati sidelines. And it just looked A.J. Green today was nowhere to be found. In the regular season, he was a stub, but he just looked like he didn't want to be there, really. He was running routes, just kind of half-efforting his routes. And when he saw he was being doubled, he just didn't have the the effort that needed to be there from a star-caliber receiver. And star-caliber receivers, he's been beating double coverage all year, but once he saw Dalton, once he saw the weather start to turn... Cincinnati's offense just lost all the pep in their step. And their o- and it started with the O-line sinking and Dalton just throwing off his back foot and forcing balls into coverage. And, uh, I mean, Dalton, he played in the Mountain West Conference in college. He's had a great first couple of seasons. But I really think he could turn into a Mark Sanchez type of quarterback, especially with all the negativity now facing Dalton after this loss. So, you know, Bruce, you've been watching Dalton for a couple years. My question to you is, do you think Dalton could be that elite quarterback, a franchise quarterback? What should the Bengals do about Andy Dalton? How would you assess his first three years as a Bengal and moving forward, big picture, Andy Dalton, your thoughts? Well, when we look at the coach, uh, Marvin Lewis, and we look at Dalton, it's really a combination. You can't put it all on the quarterback. The quarterback uh, usually gets more blame and gets uh, more accolades. Um, uh, he had a bad game today, He or yesterday. He was essentially... Uh, uh, inaccurate, didn't look confident, and the, the one thing I could say about him, he's a very likable person as a person. He he certainly owned up to it. He even said that he's going to get a lot of criticism, and he, till, until he wins that first playoff game, he deserves it. I don't know. I mean, sometimes it, it takes a change. Sometimes a guy like Dalton, Drew Brees, if you recall, used to play for the Chargers, just didn't quite make it. And they, there was talk he was going to be out of the league. He went to New Orleans. He got a new lease on life. And now he's going to be a Hall of Famer. So um, 
I haven't quite given up on Dalton as being a winning quarterback, but he certainly hasn't reached elite status. I don't like Dalton as a as a um, as really a prospect because I don't think his arm strength is as strong as Drew Brees. His delivery is not as quick. I mean, there's tangibles that that Dalton. I mean that Dalton does not have physically. He's not physically tall. His arm strength, he can't really throw in that hard sideline pass. I mean, he can't throw the rail, um, the rail, I think it's called the railroad line <laughs> pass down the sideline. He can't really gun it in there, basically. Uh, he doesn't have a strong bullet pass. And Dalton could, could throw a lob pass about 45 yards, but Dalton just doesn't go through his progressions fast enough. He's not very quick in dropping back to pass either. He needs an elite O-line, and A.J. Green has really been carrying him through these first couple of seasons. Same with his defense. I mean, without A.J. Green and with their defense not being a spectacular defense for most of what it was in the regular season, there's no way Dalton gets in the playoffs. He's 8-8. Eight and eight. To me, there's no difference between Dalton and Matt Schaub. And, and Andrew Dalton seems like a great guy coming out of TCU he's already married he has his head on his shoulder seems like a great young kid really intelligent and during hard knocks I I thoroughly enjoyed watching the Bengals and Marvin Lewis but Dalton just looks like a very upbeat guy and a great guy to be around so he looks like he does have that going for him meaning he does have the trust of the coaching staff but the bottom line is that Dalton just doesn't have the tangibles he doesn't have that flashy athleticism as a Kaepernick or as a Wilson or even Andrew Luck or Alex Smith they're all mobile enough to step up in the pocket Dalton for his lack of speed doesn't have the size of Nick Foles So Dalton takes too long to get back in his drops, does not go through a lot of progressions. He's usually a one-guy to two-guy read. And without that defense in A.J. Green, I'm pretty confident that Dalton does not get it done and is not in position to win playoff games. I think it was the defense carrying him, and I think Mark Sanchez would have had the exact same results this year If and Matt Schaub if they were Bengals quarterbacks. And right now they're both backups, and they're not going to be franchise guys. So Blake Bortles, um, you look at Johnny Manziel, you look at quarterbacks coming out, they're your solution in Cincinnati. And you got to look at a quarterback that's going to win playoff games and win it all. I'm all about that. I'm all about winning the championship, as Bengals fans should be. They've waited long enough. Anyway, this segment definitely flew by. We definitely got into Andy Dalton, and we got into the Bengals' playoff struggles as he's holding them back from winning their first playoff game in a very long time. This has been a uh, strong... Um, really NFL-loaded episode that I hope you're enjoying because the NFL is just dominating the ratings and it's dominating our show discussion. You're listening to Bruce the Sports Doc. We got more football coming up next, sprinkled in maybe with some sports medicine. Please stay Your internet flagship station for sports... 
Business Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Spin it with Chuck Foreman has a spin on so much that's going on. It will be hard to fit it all into the promo. We'll talk about the weekend games, what to look forward to, hot topics in the news. Spin it old school, which gives a back in the day approach from Chuck. A no spin zone where Chuck gives an unbiased opinion and lets you do the same. Chuck will be taking us around town and around the world with news, happenings, and more. It's football, news, and happenings. Tune in for Spin It with Chuck Foreman. Foreman, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. And we're getting to the fourth and final game. The Kansas City Chiefs versus the Indianapolis Colts. This game started with the Chiefs having their way with a massive lead. And they had a 28-point lead, 38-10. to 10. We all thought it was over. But then a guy from Stanford, Andrew Luck, decided to impose his will on the Chiefs. 38-10. to 10. Kansas City thinks they have this one in the bag. Kansas City thinks that they have a, a great chance to go play either New England or play um, at Denver. So uh, what happened in the second half is hard for Chiefs fans to uh, reminisce on. Uh, Andrew Luck basically was given multiple chances to bring them back, and uh, he delivered. He hit T.Y. Hilton for over 213 yards of receiving. He threw four touchdowns. He he really rallied um, the Colts back into the game. Long passes, defensive breakdowns. But the thing that we're all that all seems to be forgotten is that Alex Smith did throw four touchdowns. They did have 38 points, but without Jamal Charles. With Miles Davis, you still need to you still need to milk the clock, and that's by running the football and winning the trenches up front. And Kansas City couldn't sustain drives, and if they would have sustained a big drive in the second half, just getting first downs and winding the clock down, 
I mean, with Kansas City throwing incomplete passes, with Kansas City not showing any poise with a lead and not milking the clock at all, you kept on giving a great quarterback multiple chances to heave the ball down the field. And a quarterback and a receiver as fast as T.Y. Hilton, the Colts are eventually going to come back. This comes down to Andy Reid being too pass happy and not having any confidence in his running game. You saw what the Saints did in the first half to the Eagles. They ran the, they ran the ball and guess what? It's not a coincidence that that half was really short. It felt really short. I was watching that Chiefs game. It felt like the second half of that game was 48 hours long. And that's because the Kansas City Chiefs were inept in running the football. And they kept on stopping the clock and had no composure getting first downs and sustaining drives and that's how you put the, that's how you could serve your lead is you don't just punt the ball away you don't stop the clock with incompletions you have neat offensive series so the Colts offense threw their D under the bus and I'm not saying their D was great at all um, it, it frankly wasn't, but you were going against a great quarterback. I can understand how if Andrew Luck continues to get opportunities, he's going to succeed. So this one's, you know, it's a, it's a two-way game. People are going to call out the defense, say they got shredded in, embarrassing, in an embarrassing way in the second half, but it's about the offense really sustaining drives. Keep, and, and also when you sustain drives, it's all positive. You keep your D on the sideline. They're more refreshed. But when they're coming right back onto the field, it, it can really um, snowball very quickly. So for the for the Chiefs, how would you really rate this season with Andy Reid at the helm? They were two and fourteen last year. Uh, yesterday's loss definitely has to be taken into the equation in terms of your uh, review of their season. Well, Andy Reid uh, inherited a pretty good defense, and I think he really changed the mentality of the team, the culture, and he had a really good year. But because of this loss, obviously devastating. In my view, he falls out of Coach of the Year consideration. I really think Chip Kelly has to be considered, uh, considering all of the uh, changes in the front office, uh, as well as only winning four games last year. But also we have to look at Bruce Arians from the Arizona Cardinals as as, as a contender for the Coach of the Year. And uh, unfortunately... I don't put Andy Reid in that category. And uh, we saw it all too many times that he's a very good preparation coach, but not a good game day coach and, and not that good with clock management. And certainly with that kind of lead, there's a way to, to manage the clock. So you, you shouldn't lose a game like that. But I, I've seen it too many times. Uh, and, you know, it, it's nothing. It's We're not judging Andy Reid personally. He's a, he's a great person. But... It just seems like he gets out coached and he's never won the big game. So uh, that theme seems to be uh, holding true. I also look for Coach of the Year consideration at Ron Rivera of Carolina. He's probably the guy that I'd consider. I mean, this team got off to a uh, 0-2 start. They lost, at, believe it or not, to the Buffalo Bills, E.J. Manuel, for a last-second touchdown. They were 0-2. And then you look at the way that they finished the year 12-2. and Unbelievable. I mean, 
the uh, they beat the Patriots. They won at San Francisco. This defense really turned into a monster, and Cam Newton really matured. And Ron Rivera was really on his last leg, but he kept on coaching very well down the strat down the stretch. And um, I think he'd have to be my coach of the year. But another guy that shouldn't get overlooked. He had a great year last year, but the Seahawks are just next level good this year. And their record at home and and thirteen and three for Seattle is just a, an absolutely stellar season. And last year, if you remember, they had to go to Washington to play a wild card game. And this is only Russell Wilson's second year. He already looks like a seasoned vet out there. That just Pete Carroll, the drafting, the defense that they have in Seattle, on all you know, all facets of that defense are the most complete team in the tournament. And Pete Carroll this year should deserve a lot of consideration as well. And uh, right now we can go and take these last couple minutes and uh, go in multiple directions. Uh, Bruce, do you have any sports medicine thoughts? And we could certainly talk if you want to go in the direction of college football as well. Well, this is really the year of the ACL injury in NFL football. And the question is, why is that? Well, one is the uh, incredible size of the players, the, the, the still the intensity also, the the emphasis is not on hitting above the neck and instead hitting low. So we've seen some uh, some really devastating ACL tears, and usually it's a it's a year recovery. It's a, it's a big surgery, a reconstruction, casting, rehab, and uh, these players aren't going to be coming back for another year. So we saw a ton of people with ACL tears, lav knee injuries. We saw Rob Gronkowski, noteworthy, had a, uh, a really ugly injury with a defensive back, clearly went after his knees, coming in high velocity. That was an ugly injury. And uh, with respect to leg injuries, just segueing out of football to something we never cover, which is UFC. There's a guy named uh, Anderson, Silva. Anderson Silva, who... Uh, really had a, a fairly gruesome injury, which was a uh, a tib-fib fracture. And um, essentially he kicked his opponent, and it was a uh, a really a bad injury. It could be a career-threatening injury. So just wanted to touch upon, you know, mentioning the ACL. We, we've certainly covered diagnosis and treatment at greater length in other segments. But, uh, you know, luckily we... Uh, there's certainly an emphasis on preventing concussions in the NFL. There's a protocol. They actually have made it a rule that independent neurologists have to be involved in clearing patients back to the field. That is uh, athletes less patients. So that would be my, uh, my little wrap-up of sports medicine. But we want to thank everybody for listening to Bruce the Sports Doc and Spencer the Wizard. We've got really exciting... Uh, playoff action continuing next week in the NFL. We hope you enjoyed the show. We appreciate your listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.